recognize the fact that we are um, really in need of people. In All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 57. This morning we're going to finish up the chapter of Luke. And um, in these final verses of this first chapter, Luke accounts um, the birth of John the Baptist. And, um, and he, he accounts it for us. And remember the contextual floral. He's, he's telling us the things that had taken place. He's giving a report. And so he recounts or accounts the birth of John the Baptist as a fulfillment of the promise that had been made by God um, through the angel Gabriel. But we will also take a detailed look into um, a prophecy, a prophecy that was spoken um, by um, John's father, Zacharias, uh, the priest um, that we read about uh, in, as when we began our study through first uh, or through the first part of this chapter, and uh, by Zacharias, who, if you guys remember, he had previously doubted. And we'll see that his doubt was uh, now, uh, uh, that had been demonstrated, had been turned. And we'll see a demonstration of his faith here through this prophecy. And, and um, um, he doubted these very things that he's now declaring, which the angel Gabriel had proclaimed to him when he was in the um, tabernacle. And if you remember from our first part of our study, the promise of this son of John the Baptist, who we're going to now read about, um, that was really a secondary message by the angel Gabriel. For God had sent Gabriel to Zacharias while he was in the tabernacle, while he was offering up the daily sacrifice uh, of incense, and while the people of Israel, the children, the congregation of Israel, were gathered outside also praying. And so he was interceding on their behalf as the priest was called to do. And when Gabriel appeared to him, he told Zacharias, he said that his prayer had been heard. And that God was ready, in light of that, to send the Messiah. And that this son, whom Zacharias had been promised, that this son would go before the Messiah, he said specifically in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to prepare the way for him. And at that time, we talked a little bit about how that was a fulfillment of the prophecy given in the book of Malachi, at the end of the book of Malachi, where God had spoken to the people for one final time, and then he was silent. Um, as we've, we've studied for 400 years until this revelation, until this prophecy that came to Zacharias through the angel Gabriel. And the birth of John the Baptist is what we read about here first. And if you look in verse 57, it says to us, it says, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and her relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her, So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him, the child, by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have called them. I, I read that, and I, 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 I just a little side note. I think it's ironic. I'm sure he got tired of it. You know, he's he's not blind or 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 deaf. I mean, he's he's mute. He can't speak. So yet they're making signs to him. They could have just talked to him. I don't get why they did this, but sometimes people are like that. My wife is deaf, and sometimes you know I make signs to her too when we're talking. <laughs> Um, and, and he asked in verse 63 for a writing table, and, and um, 
it says he wrote saying, get this, he says, his name is John. His name is John. So they all marveled, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. In other words, it spread all out through that region where they were. And, 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 and all of those, verse 66, and all of those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. You guys, I think as we look at these verses, I think one of the most interesting things about these verses is not what they tell us, but really what they don't tell, to tell us, what, what we're not, what, what it's not saying, I think is the most interesting thing. And I, I say that considering um, Luke, has, Luke has, has made it a point. He's really gone into a, a, a laborious effort to tell us that he was writing to set in order, if you remember, a narrative, a narrative, a detailed account of the things which had been fulfilled and would do so by taking, he says, these eyewitness testimonies to write forth an orderly account for us. He even acknowledges the fact that there had been other accounts written, and it wasn't that he was trying to repeat or duplicate these things, and we believe them to be the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, historically speaking, but, but he says, I'm gonna, they all had their purpose, I have my purpose, and my purpose is to give you this narrative, this detailed, orderly account. And he, he goes into such a, a, a laborious effort to tell us that, to, 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 to make that known. Yet regarding the birth of John the Baptist, Luke counts very little. In fact, only a single verse. Verse 57, right? It says, now Elizabeth's, Full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. Boom, that's it. All we read and, and know about regarding John the Baptist's birth. And um, this verse is the only one that's given to announce the birth, literally, of the greatest prophet of the nation that the nation of Israel had. The greatest prophet that the nation of Israel ever had. Jesus Christ would say that about John himself. And only one verse, Luke, to announce his birth? Come on. What about this detailed and orderly account, this narrative you're going to give us? I want some more of the details. You know? I mean, who was there and what was going on? I mean, he could give us all kinds of more information about this. And, and, and I point this out because this is unusual because whenever the Bible accounts a birth of other people who are significant to God's plan, like John the Baptist is, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, the count is usually elaborated for us. Is it not? There are more details given. But not with John the Baptist. However, when we understand, I think when we, we take this and we put it in light of the ministry of John, this greatest prophet of God, it makes sense as to why Luke doesn't give very much attention to him or to his birth. And if you remember... John's whole ministry was to prepare the way for the Messiah. He was the herald to make ready, it says, a people prepared for the Lord. John was a road sign. You know, go this way. Look at him. 
He was a road sign with a big arrow that pointed people to Christ. And this was the message given by the angel Gabriel and accounted by Luke in the previous verses which we read about. And in no way was the Holy Spirit, I believe, who, who filled John, we're told, even while he was in his mother's womb, there's no way that the Holy Spirit was going to allow for this prophet of God in any way to become someone who took the attention away from the Son of God who was coming after him. And we see that characterized for us even in this single verse. And as we prepare to read about John's life, and as we, excuse me, as we read about John's life and the ministry he fulfilled in pointing people to Jesus, we see that John never let people get their eyes on him. He always pointed people to Jesus, even to his disciples who had this issue later on. He's all, you know what? There's one coming after me who's greater than me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to undo. Follow him. Listen to him. And as we consider how John lived for the sole purpose to prepare the way for the Messiah and to point people to him. Guys, I, I point all of this out because we also, as disciples of Jesus, should follow John's example by, by also pointing people to Jesus. We need to be a road sign. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look to him. Put your faith in him. It's all about Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who's come from heaven. And Jesus is the one who is above all. Now, even though there is not much accounted here for us in regards to John's birth, what we are told is important. Luke still gives us this narrative, this detailed account to set things in order. And we don't want to just glance over them because it's really cool when we look at them. And once again, guys, what we're seeing here is some very cool stuff. And, 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 and for example... Um, what we're told is important, and, and in verse 57, Luke tells us that Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth, brought forth a son. That's kind of important, isn't it? I mean, when you give birth, you can give birth to either a son or a, a daughter. And she gave birth to a son, brought forth a son, and in doing so, guys, we see that God always keeps his promises. That's what God said. Your wife is going to conceive even though she's beyond childbearing years and she's going to give birth to a, a son. And Luke accounts that for us. He says, yes, she gave birth to a son. And we see that this, God said it, God spoke it, and this is what happened. He keeps his promises. Furthermore, in verse 58, Luke tells us that when Elizabeth's neighbors, and this may seem like a, a, a small thing or an insignificant thing, but when you look at the total picture of it, it really speaks to the greatness of God because it says in verse 58, Luke tells us that out of all the things that we could know about John and his birth, he says, okay, the neighbors and the relatives when he was born, when John was born, they rejoiced with Elizabeth who was rejoicing also. Right? And, and because this would have been Perhaps from our point of view, such an obvious response, right? Nobody was like, oh my gosh, she gave birth to a son. This woman who was barren, I can't believe it. What an awful thing, you know? They rejoiced. The Bible says that children are a blessing from the Lord. In this situation, this woman who would bear barren, it was clearly a sign that God had poured out a favor upon her as well. And there was this rejoicing, and we see this, and we go, yeah, this is an obvious response. And, and because it's an obvious response, out of all the things that Luke could, could have told us, why would he point out the obvious? Right? Why would Luke be pointing out the obvious? They rejoiced, no doubt, Luke. Baby was born. It was a miracle. And out of everything that he could have accounted about this event, 
that he would take the time to count this particular response. But guys, remember, if you look back to verse 14, we studied it about a couple weeks ago, when the angel Gabriel, back in verse 14, had told Zacharias about this situation, he said that many would rejoice with John's birth. And so in this, we see how Luke intentionally mentioned this rejoicing that took place to illustrate how the promises of God had once again been fulfilled. Now, I point this out because you've heard that saying, right, the devil's in the details. That's not true, man. God's in the details. Amen? God's in the details. He's had a plan from the beginning of time, not only for the world that we live in and the salvation that we've received, but for each one of our lives. God said he knew us before we were even in the womb. He formed us. Bible says that, here's, here's a cool thing about the details, God says he knows all the numbers of the hairs upon our head. He says he knows us by name. When God created the world and everything that was in it, it was intentionally designed with perfect detail to sustain our lives here on this earth. So many things play into that. God's in the details and we see this through the scriptures as well when we go, okay, the angel Gabriel said people are going to rejoice at the birth of John, and Luke says, what? They rejoiced. And truthfully, it's something that continues on today because even you and I rejoice over the birth of the John the Baptist, and what that meant for us is he would point people to Christ as we also have come to receive and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. God's in the details there's all kinds of verses like this that tells us that God's a God of detail. He's not a God that just stands off and goes, well, I hope it all works out. I kind of set it in the plan. See you when it's over. He's intimately involved in the details of our lives. He cares about every little thing. Every little thing. The thing sometimes that we go, oh, this is not really important to God. I'm sure of it. There's people he cares about more or more important than me, and that's not how it works with God. And I see that about our God when we see these kinds of things inspired by the Holy Spirit mentioned before us. God cares about the details. God cares about the details. And I think it's important because it once again illustrates ultimately the attention to detail that is given in this gospel account and that Luke has told us the reason for why he's written these things so that we may know. Remember he said, I'm giving you this narrative. I'm giving you this detailed account. I'm mentioning even these things that might seem non-significant but yet in direct fulfillment of scripture because I want you to have, he said, the whole purpose of this is so that we may know the certainty or literally that we will have the confidence insurance of the things that we've been taught. What have we been taught? We've been taught that salvation has come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that God sent his only begotten son to the Virgin Mary who would come and die for our sins, that God so loved the world that he sent his Savior into, the, into this world to, to, to save us, that he sent his son into the world to save us. All these things that we know, that we put our faith and our hope in, the promises that we've received, the promises that are before us that we have yet to still receive, that we look forward to with the Lord's return, number one, or eternal life after this death and the promise of heaven, the ability to stand before the judgment seat of God and be declared innocent on that day because of the blood of Jesus that covers us. This promise that God's given us to give us life and life more abundantly here in this life now. That even when we have trials and troubles and tribulations, that he's going to be with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. That he's the author and finisher of our faith. And that he'll complete the good work that he's begun in us. 
that no matter what we go through that's, that seems out of our control, that's in God's control, that he's going to take it and work it together for good for those who are called according to a purpose, for those of us who love him. All of these things that we've been taught, Luke says, I'm writing this stuff to you, all these little details so that you can have confidence and assurance so that you can know beyond a shadow of doubt, know that you know that you know regarding the certainty of these things that we've been taught. What a powerful, awesome thing. Now, the last thing of significance surrounding the birth of Zacharias and Elizabeth's son that Luke tells us about is is about the name that he was given. Okay? And in verse 59, it tells us that eight days, which was customary in the Jewish culture, eight days after Elizabeth gave, gave birth, when it was time, Luke says, for the child to be circumcised and given a name, that there was this attempt, imagined by his relatives and others gathered there, um, to give him the same name as his father, which would have been like a default kind of a thing, customary. Remember, Zacharias wasn't speaking. So they're like, well... Call him Zacharias. And they didn't even ask Zacharias because, as we see, he for the past nine months now has been unable to speak. He's mute. Not deaf, mute. And if you remember, his muteness began because when he had been called to serve in the temple and offer up the daily, uh, daily incense on, upon the golden altar in the holy place, um, uh, that's when it began because Zacharias in that moment doubted the prophecy spoken to him at that time in that moment by the angel Gabriel who appeared to him while he was in the holy place that, that because he doubted his ability to speak and to tell others about the good news that he had been told, it was taken away from him. It was really the result of that. It was a consequence of his unbelief. And God, the angel Gabriel, basically saying, you've been told this good news, now you're not going to have the ability to tell others about it. Nevertheless, Elizabeth conceived just like Gabriel. And um, she said, um, like he, she conceived just like Gabriel had said she would, and then eight days after the birth of the son, on the day of the circumcision, we read that Zacharias' voice was restored. Why? Because of an act of obedience, because of demonstration of faith. And we should notice that this happened, that his voice was restored to him, his muteness was taken away, only after Zacharias had written on this tablet and declared in verse 63, if you look there, that his son's name is John. In light of this, I want you to see how Zacharias responded in this moment in total faith. Total faith. Considering he didn't write something like, um, and guys, this is, this is such a, a cool thing for us to see. He didn't write something like, well, his name should be John. I, th I think it should be John. No, he said, his name is John. No doubts at this point. And for Zacharias, this declaration of what his son's name would be was recognition of the fact, not a suggestion. His name is, is John. That's what God said it was going to be. It wasn't a suggestion, well, maybe we should name him John, and it was proof, ultimately, that Zacharias had come to believe everything that the angel Gabriel had declared to him. So even though Zacharias had previously failed to believe, you know what we see is God gave Zacharias a second chance. I like that. God gave Zacharias a second chance, specifically a second chance at faith. And God, who is merciful... Bible tells us, and God who is long-suffering 
He gives us the same kind of second chances today. Third and fourth and fifth sometimes for some of us who are a little bit more stubborn. But God gives us these chances to do it right, to make it right. Now, because Zacharias exercised his faith and demonstrated his belief, it says his mouth was open, and, and of course, that was just like the angel Gabriel had said to Zacharias, that you're going to be mute until this time. And Zacharias could now speak again. And look, guys, when he spoke again, it says in verse 64 that he spoke praising God. And it's fitting. It's fitting that Zacharias' first words out of his mouth were praises to God. We talked about praising God last week, and I think we all came to the conclusion that it's probably something that we should do more of. Glorifying God, edifying God, speaking the praises of God to the world around us. Because you know what that is? That's, a, that's us being the road, the road sign going, it's about God, it's about Jesus. Follow him, and it was fitting and the, and the following words that Zacharias spoke, which are recorded for us here next in verses 67 through 68, I want you to know that they're prophetic truths. What we read here are prophetic truths that ultimately, I think, should cause us to also give praise to God. And I hope that's what happens as we study through these verses, as with these truths that are put forth here, which we've become recipients of, penetrate deeper into our hearts this morning. Because in this, we see just ultimately the powerful gift that we've received from God through his son, Jesus. And in verse 67, we read about it, and it says, it says, now his father, Zacharias, speaking of John the Baptist again, his father, John, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, verse 68, blessed is the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Underline that word redeem if you if you write in your Bible there, um, and if you don't, the person next to you, write in their Bible for them and underline it, okay? And he has raised up, verse 69, a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of of, 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 to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. That word remission is another one that should be underlined. Through the tender mercies of our God, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring, capitalized, is this, is this a title for us to consider, from on high has visited us, from with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness, 